0: Amen. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4 as we look at the subject this morning of Christ, our perfect Sabbath rest. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. One of the things that happened a few months ago, we made a decision within our our church staff to try to... Uh, reduce the size of our worship guide and also to add a little bit more color to it and a little bit more graphic to it but in the process of doing that one of the things that we did was we had to take several things out of the old worship guide that, that just took up a lot of space and uh, one of those was the the part in there that kind of told where everybody was serving during different points in time so those who are serving as ushers or those who are serving as nursery workers and things like that and We've, uh, we've tried to make that information available several different other ways, such as sending it out by email. We also have it posted in our Central Station bulletin board right outside the church staff. But we also wanted to make that available to you to help you out a little bit more. And so one of the, one of the things that we will be putting out at the end of every month is a sheet of paper that's going to be near where our worship guides are that are just simply listing those who are serving on Sunday. We call them our Sunday Servants. And so if you're looking for, hey, I don't exactly know when it is that I'm supposed to serve this month, we'll be putting this out at the end of the month for the next month. So right now it's out for the month of November. Next week we'll be putting it out for the month of December. And it just lists every single week where who's serving where and where you're supposed to serve. So if you're one of our Sunday servants serving as an usher or a greeter or in our nursery or any of those kinds of ways, And you need to pick that up and put that in your Bible. That'll be easy for you to keep and take with you. And if you're looking for a place to serve, and we have a place for you, and so if you're looking to join our serving team and be a part of one of these ministries, let us know about that, and we'll be glad to get you on that rotation as well. Also, before we look to God's Word this morning... I want to talk to you about an opportunity that we have uh, here at Central Park uh, for those who would like to visit the Holy Land. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but some of you may have been out may not known about that. and You'll be hearing a lot about this over the course of the next few weeks. But next September, myself and Allison, along with my father-in-law, Scotty Hogan, my mother-in-law, Kathy Hogan, and also Justin and Amanda McAlpin from Westmead Baptist Church, uh, the six of us are putting together a trip to the Holy Land for our churches Uh, That will be taking place next September the 9th through the 21st. You'll be seeing some graphic stuff that we'll put up there. We'll send some emails out about that. Um, It's just an opportunity for us to take people to the Holy Land. I don't know, how many of you have ever been to the Holy Land before? Anybody? A few of you? Good. If you've ever been before, you know it's an incredible trip. I have never been to the Holy Land. I've never had that opportunity to go. So I'm very excited about that. And we want to offer that invitation for you to join us on this trip to the Holy Land. It's going to be an an incredible uh, trip. We will actually tour both Greece and the Aegean Sea and the Israel. And so we will begin our trip by flying into Greece. And we will tour places like Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and Patmos and places like that that you've read about in the New Testament, places that Paul went. We'll see some of the ruins in some of those places. There'll be a four-day cruise on the Aegean Sea as part of that. And so we'll cruise in the boat from, to different places. And then we will fly to Israel and where we will tour Galilee, Nazareth, um, Megiddo, Jerusalem. We'll see Tel Aviv. We'll see a number of different historic sites there in, in uh, Israel as well. So if you're interested in this trip, if it would be something that you and your family would be interested in going in, we have finally gotten from the uh, travel agent, some informational brochures like this. They are available at the table right outside there. If you would like to take one with you, please take it with you if you're seriously interested in going. Don't just say, I'd like to read that and take it with you because we don't have enough to to do that. But if you're very interested in going, we would love and be honored for you to take this. This spells out all the costs, all the details, where you're going to be on what day, and also has a registration form inside of it. We will be having an informational meeting on December the 3rd, that's a Tuesday night at 6.30 in the Outback, for those who are interested in going. This is not a commitment meeting, you're not uh, signing up for anything, you're not committing to anything. It's just to find a little bit more detail about the trip, what's what's involved, what you would need to do, an opportunity for you to ask questions. And so if you are interested in being a part of that, I would tell you to to circle December 3rd and be here at 630 for that informational meeting. Or you can call me or email me, and I'll be glad to try to help you get some more information and get hooked up. Again, I'd be honored for any and all of you that would like to go. If you have family members that have always wanted to go to the Holy Land but have never had an opportunity to go, you can let me know about them, and I'll be glad to send them a brochure as well. Well, uh, this week we are in the second part of a two-part series, that we're talking about rest and what it means to rest specifically in Christ. We're talking about our God-given need for both physical rest, but even on a broader scale, our greater need for spiritual rest. And last week we said that one of the most exhausting kinds of tired that anyone could ever experience is what I call soul unrest. Last week I asked, how many of you feel like you're tired? How many of you feel like you're just exhausted sometimes? And almost all of us do feel that way physically. But there's, there's, an, there's an exhaustion and a tiredness that goes beyond just physically being exhausted from work or stress that goes down deep into our soul. It's a, it's a weariness of the soul that comes from having to bear the weight of your own sin and your own uh, distance from God and having no peace with Him. It's a spiritual exhaustion of trying to to create your own salvation by your own goodness... ...all the while knowing that your sinful choices have created a barrier between you and the God who created you. Today we're going to talk about that as we talk about the subject of the Sabbath. Last week we also talked about the fact that the vast majority of people in our world... ...and probably most of you in here today are fatigued and tired... The reality is that most of us are overstressed, overworked, and under-rested in our life. Most of us run through life at an unhealthy pace, constantly moving from one urgent situation to another. We live in a culture that focuses more on speed and, and opportunities than on asking ourselves whether the things that we are actually engaging in are necessary and critical to our lives. I read a book several years ago on this subject called The Tyranny of the Urgent by Charles Hummel, where Charles Hummel was describing how many of us in life spend our lives in the quadrant of urgency, continually going from one task to another, doing things that are constantly urgent and they're calling out to us, but never really evaluating whether the things that we are doing are actually necessary or beneficial or helpful. Last week I quoted a report from the National Safety Council, that said that 97% of Americans suffer from at least one of nine critical risk factors for what is known as chronic fatigue. The reality is that we're overstressed, and God's answer to this in our lives is rest. God has wired our physical bodies in such a way that the reality is that you and I, most of us, cannot effectively operate without proper rest. How many of you in here sleep probably at least eight hours a night? Anybody say, I sleep at least eight hours a night? Some of you are laughing, you're like, I don't remember the last time I slept eight hours. Anybody say, I probably sleep around six hours a night or more, probably? Okay, good, that's good. You know, that's what they tell us is that we need usually about eight hours of sleep and most of us would say, I don't get that. I don't get that much sleep. I don't have time. Um, uh, some of us operate better on less sleep than others do. I tend to operate a little bit better on about six hours of sleep. My wife tends to operate better on about 14, I think. So um, uh, we're just wired differently that way. But the reality of it is is that all of us need sleep and rest and physicians will tell you that the lack of sleep and the lack of rest lead to a number of different chronic illnesses. The lack of proper rest can lead to heart disease, it can lead to obesity, it can lead to a number of different health factors in our lives. And so I think that what God is trying to say to most of us in this overstressed, overworked society is, slow down and rest. Evaluate some things in your life and understand that not everything that you are engaged in is necessary. Not everything that you feel like you have to constantly be doing is actually part of my plan for your life. As believers, we are to put our head on the pillow at night and know that we can sleep because we trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of a God who never sleeps and never slumbers. The reality of it is the reason why most of us probably aren't getting enough rest in life is because most of us are trying to assume things in our life that are under God's control and not ours. Most of us are trying to assume the responsibility for things that God never said, that's your responsibility. And the reality of it is is that we can rest our head on a pillow at night knowing that as we sleep, we are in the hands of a sovereign God who does not sleep, who does not slumber, who is always at work in our lives for His glory and for our good. And we don't have to be in control 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, because we know a God who is. As a matter of fact, I think if you feel that tension that you have to be in control all of the time, it's a reflection of the sinful heart inside of us, that is, is not operating in faith and trust in the sovereignty of God. In His sovereign wisdom, God instituted at the beginning a once-a-week time known as a Sabbath. We read about this last week in Genesis chapter 2. The Bible tells us that on the seventh day, God rested. And we said that God didn't rest because the, the six-day act of creation exhausted Him so much that He needed to replenish his physical energies Our God doesn't ever need to replenish His physical energies. So why did God choose to rest on the seventh? He chose to rest on the seventh to show us that there needs to be a periodic space in our life that is carved out for rest and worship. And He commanded this to His people in Exodus chapter 20 when He commanded to them to remember and observe the Sabbath and to keep it holy which means to keep it set apart as a part of their lives, as a regular reminder of His goodness and His provision, and as a time to reflect and worship Him. Now, growing up in, in, in the Bible Belt, many of us still, at that time in life, had some, some expectations about Sunday, that Sunday was different in our culture than, than other days, and those days have, have long since gone, but I remember when you weren't supposed to go out to eat after church on Sunday and you couldn't go shopping because all the, all the stores were closed and, and, and there was supposed to be something special about Sunday. And, and we always kind of treated it legalistically like if you're a good Christian, you don't do these things. And, and, and in the process of doing that, we missed out on what the whole purpose of the Sabbath was. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder designed to reorient our hearts and faith towards the goodness and the sovereignty of our Creator and Lord. And so last week I mentioned a couple of things. I said, one, the human need for rest in our lives is a reflection of the image of God and His eternal purposes for us. The fact that we need rest is a reflection of what God has placed inside of us and that we need to trust in His eternal purposes. And we said last week, if you want to be not only physically healthy, but you want to be spiritually healthy, then you need to create space and margin in your life and in your routine for rest and reflection. There needs to be something in your life where on this particular day, this particular season, this particular time in life, I'm creating space and margin in my life where I'm not worrying about the bills. I'm not worrying about catching up on my Netflix. I'm not worrying about, about what needs to be done. I am only worrying about myself and my relationship with God. And maybe for you that might involve going out on a lake, fishing or walking around a lake. Maybe for you that might involve having a time where you take a walk in the park. But there needs to be a regular, periodic place in our lives for both our physical health and our spiritual health where we create margin for physical and spiritual rest. And we said last week when it comes to the Sabbath that the Sabbath in Scripture is more than just a commanded once a week day off. The Sabbath is more than just a ritualistic observance where you and I go through the spiritual motions and cease from needless activity. The Sabbath is actually a gift from God that was grounded in the future provision that God would provide for His people through the Messiah. Let me say that again. When God instituted the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20, it was more than just a commanded day off once a week. It was actually a a message, a gift that God was giving His people that He wanted to point forward to a future provision, a future eternal Sabbath that He would provide through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because the promise of the Sabbath is a promise of rest. And the ultimate promise of the Sabbath was a future eternal spiritual rest for the people of God. And so today I want you to ground these two truths that are are on your screen here. The first of those is that the Sabbath was given to God's people as a promise of future eternal rest. It went away up there. I don't know why it's not there anymore. All right, The Sabbath was given to God's people as a promise of future eternal rest. So when we read in Exodus chapter 20 about keeping the Sabbath, and when we read in the New Testament about Sabbath laws that have been passed, it wasn't just a legalistic command that said, this is something you must do as my people. It was given to God's people as something to look forward to, a day when there would be an eternal rest for us, a time when we could rest eternally in God. And if the Sabbath is a gift and a promise of future eternal rest, then the second thing that we need to understand is that the Sabbath is fulfilled by Christ our Redeemer. The Sabbath is fulfilled by Christ our Redeemer. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4. So I want us to read Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 and we will see how Christ is our perfect Sabbath and what we are to do about that. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of eternal rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So he tells us that there's a promise, but not everybody will acquire that promise, that some will fail to reach that eternal rest, who know that it's there for them. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith to those who listened." For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere else spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And again in in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David the psalmist, this is quoting Psalm 95. In other words, in, in words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For as Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, this is the good news. There remains a Sabbath rest. For the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from him. Verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, as we read that passage, it's kind of confusing because you've got to understand the context of what he's talking about there. We're going to unpack that a little bit for you. What I want us to really focus on here is verses 9 through 11 when it tells us that there is still a promised Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I want you to see how many times God focuses on the word rest within these 11 verses. He's talking about it all through this, that there's this promise of rest for God's people. And at the end of this passage in verse 11, he says to you and me a command, then we as God's people need to strive to enter that rest. We need to to be focusing the, the spiritual hearts of our lives into making sure that we do whatever is necessary to enter into this promised eternal rest. And so I want us to see three truths today about entering God's rest. And the first of those is the promise of receiving eternal rest. The promise of receiving eternal rest. We read this in verses 1 through 3 when he talks about the promise of his rest still standing. And so let us fear lest any of you should have failed to reach it. He talks about the good news coming to certain people, but it didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith. And then skip down to verse 9, and it says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, verse 11. So let us strive then to enter that rest. What's going on here? What is, he, what is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Well, to understand it a little bit, you need to back up to chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. These verses are not on your screen, but I want to read to you the context of what he's talking about, because verse chapter 4 flows from what he's talking about in chapter 3. So beginning in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes David from Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now you saw that that phrase quoted about two or three times in chapter 4. That's what he's talking about here. That there was a group of people that were not allowed to enter into the rest of God. Verse 12, Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he's talking about a group of people that saw God's works and yet in the midst of seeing those works, they fell away from believing in God and acquiring what God promised them. Verse 13, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So what he's saying here is it's possible to hear the voice of God. It's possible to hear the word of God. It's possible to hear the good news of the gospel. And yet in the midst of hearing the good news of the gospel, it just bounces off of your heart. And the more you hear it, the more you harden your heart. He's saying don't harden your hearts against the good news. So what's going on here? What is he talking about? Well, what he's doing is he's reminding these Jewish Christians about an important incident that took place in the book of Exodus. The people of God in that day had lived in bondage and enslavement for 400 years, crying out to God for a deliverer. They had been slaves in Egypt for for many generations, for hundreds of years, and they continued to cry out to God to send someone to deliver them from Egypt. At the same time that they were enslaved in Egypt they were holding on to a promise that was made many, many, many centuries before to their first father Abraham. And these were the descendants of Abraham. And they were God had made a promise to Abraham in Genesis when Abraham looked up at the stars in the heaven and God said, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven and look around you and every place that your foot sets to rest here, I will give to you and your descendants. So they had a promise that God had made to Abraham, their father, that they would be a mighty nation that would one day occupy and own all of the land that God had promised to them. And yet for 400 years they had lived as slaves in a foreign land. That promised land represented for the Israelites a future rest for God's people who had lived in physical unrest for multiple generations. To begin with, for over three different generations, they were aliens and sojourners in the land. God had promised the land to Abraham, but other nations occupied it during that time. As a result, Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, they they didn't always receive a warm welcome from the other nations around them. Sometimes they had to go to battle with these other nations. They, They always lived in fear of them. They never were able during those three generations to establish a home city or a a home state. They didn't have a a, a physical place of residence. Many of them lived in tents and they would sojourn from place to place to place. All the while, for, for three different generations, holding on to the promise, one day our God is going to give us all this land for us and we will rest in our own country. So they were aliens and immigrants and sojourners. But then a famine hit the land and God sovereignly moved Abraham and his descendants to the nation of Egypt to preserve their lives. And while they were there, within a couple of generations, a different Pharaoh eventually turned them into slaves to do manual labor for the Egyptians, as we said, for over 400 years. So these were people who had lived for hundreds of years as either slaves and immigrants and refugees and people without a home, desperately longing to see God's promise fulfilled where they would acquire a place of long and sustainable rest. In a similar way, our lives are much the same way today. You know, we are citizens of an earthly nation and we are proud of that. And we live in permanent dwellings as citizens of the city of Decatur or Priceville or Hartzell or Trinity. We live in cities and we have homes. We live in neighborhoods and we don't live like they do as, 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 as physical sojourners. We, we have a place of, of, of physical residence. But the truth is that everyone on this planet is a temporary sojourner in this world. The reality of it is it is it doesn't matter how long you live here and it doesn't matter how long you live in your home. The reality of it is, is that you are only here for a temporary time. You were not created for permanent dwelling in this place. You were created for eternal life and eternal dwelling with the God who created you. That's what you were created for. That's why we say life is short, right? And it seems like the older you get, the shorter life feels, Right? Because we're not created for this place. We weren't created just to be citizens of the United States of America or the state of Alabama or the city of Decatur. We're just passing through this world. And just like the people of Israel, we have another problem. Because we too not only live as sojourners in a place that we weren't designed for, but we also live in bondage. Our bondage isn't physical But our bondage is spiritual because our sin has separated us from the promise of eternal rest. Our sin has enslaved us to itself and its consequences. And just like the Israelites, we need a deliverer. We need a spiritual deliverer, and that deliverer was given to us in Jesus Christ. You see what the psalmist or the Hebrews writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter four when he says that there's remaining a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's talking about something that we acquire through Jesus Christ. Through him we acquire an eternal Sabbath in a land that God has promised for His people, where the peace of God will rule for all eternity. We don't have to worry about political gridlock. We don't have to worry about about. turmoil and struggle. We don't have to worry about everything around us decaying and falling apart because you and I have been given in Christ a future eternal rest where the peace of God will rule forever. But, as we see in the book of Hebrews, there's a problem. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that many of those who left Egypt for the promise of an eternal home never made it there. They didn't find the rest because of an incident that happened along the way, which we're going to look at in just a second. But here's what I want you to understand about the promise of rest. Hearing, knowing, and seeing the promise are not the same as acquiring it. To hear about the promise of the gospel, to see and to know the promise of the gospel is not the same as acquiring the promise. That's what he's warning us about here in Hebrews chapter 4. That there were people that had seen the work of God, had heard the promise of God for generations, and yet they didn't acquire it. And I want you to know this too about eternal rest. It's in your notes. Entering eternal rest means that nothing else is required to save us. We're talking about eternal rest in Christ, and we're talking about a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He says in verse 10, whoever has entered that Rest has rested from his works as God did from his. What he's talking about there is that when we enter eternal rest through Jesus Christ, it means that there is nothing else required to save us. At that point, it's not about our works, it's not about our righteousness, it's not about our ability to keep the law, it's not about our attendance record at church or Sunday school. Once we enter into the eternal rest of Jesus Christ, there is nothing else required. To save us. That is the good news of the gospel. So I want us to see the promise of receiving eternal rest, but I want us to see what he's warning us about here in in verses 2 and 3, and that is the peril of missing eternal rest. I want us to see the peril of missing eternal rest. Look again at verses 2 and 3. It says, the good news came to us just as to them. So he's talking about the gospel here because he's saying the good news. He's saying the good news of the gospel came to us just as good news came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, he's talking about Christ, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So here's the question. How did so many of God's people, hundreds of them, almost probably 1.5 million from our from our best estimates of the people that wandered through the wilderness with Moses? How did so many of those people hold on to the promise of God's rest for so many years and yet fail to reach it, as the Hebrews writer tells us in verse 2? Well, this leads us to the context of the stories that he's talking about in chapter 3. And these stories are found in Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 14. We won't read them, I'll just summarize them for you. Numbers chapter 3 points us to a story, or, 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 or uh, Hebrews chapter 3 points us to a story that occurs in Exodus 17 when God had led his people through the wilderness to Mount Sinai where they would receive his commandments. And just all along that journey, they had experienced God's deliverance in many powerful ways. They had seen God deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians through the Passover. They had seen God part the Red Sea to give them passageway through. They had seen God lead them through the wilderness in a pillar of cloud and fire. And what they observed over and over and over again was the continual provision of of God. And yet when they reached Mount Sinai, these people who had seen God's mighty hand in many ways began to grumble against God because they were out in the wilderness and they couldn't find a source of water. They began to question God's goodness. They began to question God's plan and God's provision. They began to question the the wisdom of a God who would lead them out into the middle of nowhere without water. And so God provides the water for them. But as He does so, there's also a word of warning and 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 a criticism of their lack of faith. And then in Numbers chapter 14, after God gives them all this provision and leads them to the edge of the promised land, they are on the verge of acquiring the promise that had been given to their descendants hundreds of years before they decide to send out 12 spies to spy out the land to bring a report about the land and about the inhabitants of the land and and to help them basically create a war strategy for going in and acquiring God's promise. When the spies come back in Numbers chapter 14, they report that the land is indeed an awesome land filled with the fruit of God's best, but they also report that the people who occupy the land are formidable and strong, that they live in large fortified cities like the city of Jericho. And in the midst of that, 10 of those 12 spies say, we can't do this. We are too weak. We are too few. We don't have the resources or the experience necessary to be able to go to war and take this land, even though God had promised it to them. 10 said, we can't do it. Two said, we can. You know them as Joshua and Caleb. And in the midst of that encounter, the people of God, on the midst of acquiring the promise of God, rebelled against His goodness once again, rebelled against His sovereign power in their lives. These people who had seen God's provision, these people who had seen God part a a sea and allow them to cross through and then bury the army of pharaohs in that very same water, these people said, we can't go in there and do this. And so they chose to believe the ten unbelieving spies instead of the two who were filled with faith. And they chose at that time not to enter the land of the promise, and as a result, God told them that they would miss out on the promised rest of God that they had longed for. God announced to them that the entire generation that came out of Egypt would die in the wilderness, and it would be 40 years before God's people ever had the chance again to enter the promised rest. You see, we said a second ago, hearing, knowing, and even seeing the promise of God are not the same as acquiring it. And the reason why is because when it came time for them to acquire what God had provided for them, they chose to act in unbelief. I put this in your notes. The root of disobedience in our lives is always unbelief. You see, it's possible to know all the right things about the Bible, all the right things about the gospel, all the right things about salvation. It's possible to know intellectually, to hear the gospel every day, to understand what the gospel says, to see the work of God in people's lives, and it's possible to sit in church every single week and miss Jesus Christ and salvation. Because the root of disobedience in our lives is unbelief. When we choose to disobey God, it is always rooted in unbelief in God's Word and in His promise. And just like the Israelites, God has promised an eternal rest in Him. He's promised us an eternal Sabbath. But we must believe the gospel and God's provision in Christ in order to receive God's promise. Again, I put in your notes, if we choose not to believe the good news of the gospel then we choose by that very act not to receive the promise that it makes. If we choose not to believe the good news, then we choose not to receive God's promise. That's what happened in Numbers chapter 14. That's what happened in, in, in Psalm chapter 95 that the psalmist is talking about. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding these people, is that there, it is entirely possible to miss God's eternal rest because you refuse to believe the gospel. It's common to find many people who sit in church every single week and yet have never truly entered God's rest because they've not believed in God's promise. And we often miss God's favor when we choose to trust in our human intuition more than in the promises of God. We miss God's favor when we make the decision to trust in our goodness to save us. Whenever I talk to somebody about what it means to be a, a Christian or what it means to have eternal life, and if you ask someone, what do you understand it takes for someone to get to heaven? Inevitably, I'm always told a list of goodness. You just need to be a good person, do good things. And when you ask them, well, do you believe you're a good person? Yeah, I believe I'm, I'm a good person. And they begin to describe to you all the good things that they try to do. When we choose to trust in our goodness to save us, we reject the promise of God that our goodness is not good enough, but He has provided one. Who is? We miss God's promise when we choose to believe that God is a God of love who will never punish sin and unbelief. And there are many people in our world today that just say, you know what, I believe that God is a God of love, and and because He's a God of love, He would never allow anyone that He loves to go to hell. His love conquers all. His love does conquer all, and it conquered all through the cross of Jesus Christ, a place where God bore the sin and the wrath and the hell Of all of the sin of our lives. And that love did conquer all. We choose to miss God's favor when we think that every religion has some level of truth and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and it makes you a good person, as long as it works for you, then that's all that really matters. All those are grounded in unbelief in the gospel. So I want us to see not only the promise of eternal rest and the peril of missing eternal rest, but I finally want us to see the pathway to entering that rest. Look again at the good news of verse 9. It says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from His work as God did from His. The good news of a Sabbath rest is a reference to the gospel and salvation in Jesus Christ. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is that Christ is for us the greater Sabbath rest for God's people. Jesus is the greater Moses, a point that he makes abundantly clear in chapter 3. And in the verses following, in verses 14 through 16, he will tell us that Jesus is not only a greater Moses, but he is a great high priest who has accomplished eternal redemption and atonement on our behalf. And because of that, he has made a way to enter God's eternal rest. And the Sabbath now is more than just a once a week spiritual observance in our lives. The Sabbath is a full resting in Jesus Christ as the one who has accomplished our redemption. Let me say that again. When we talk about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, it's more than just a once a week spiritual observance that we should do in our lives. It is a full resting daily in Jesus Christ as the one who has accomplished our redemption. The good news of the gospel is that Christ has given us a way to rest and to rely on His righteousness to please God on our behalf and to rely on His perfect sacrifice to atone fully for our sins. And that you and I do not keep the Sabbath now as a legalistic work. We keep the Sabbath now as a worshipful reminder of what Christ has done for us. This is the reason why I don't understand a person. And I may meddle a little bit here, but that's okay. I don't understand a person who claims to believe in Jesus Christ and all that Christ has done for them, but feels no compulsion in their heart to attend corporate worship regularly. I don't understand that because the Sabbath is not just a a legalistic checking the box of I went to church, the Sabbath is coming to say I'm coming to worship the one who has redeemed me from my sin and giving me a place of eternal rest. I know I'm a pastor and I get paid to be holy and I'm expected to be at church every Sunday, but I, I can tell you that I, I feel such, a, such an urgency with the gospel that even if I didn't do this for a living, I feel like I would need to be in God's house every single week because God has created me to worship Him. And I do that best within the confines of the family that He's given me. It's not just about checking a spiritual box. It's about fully resting in Jesus Christ. And so verse 12 says, let us then strive to enter that rest. Let us do everything we can to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of unbelief and disobedience that the people of God did in Numbers. So how do we do that real quickly? And we're done. There's three ways that we enter God's rest. Number one, we enter by believing in God's word. We enter by believing in God's word. Just like the Old Testament people of God, we must first believe in what God has said for us. God promised them His rest in the promised land, and He promised that He would drive out their enemies. But when it came time to believe, they failed to believe His word, and their unbelief led to disobedience, and their disobedience led to punishment. Their lack of saving faith in Jehovah led Him to take away the promise of rest for them. We have saving faith in Jesus Christ and we are reminded that the Word of God says that we are saved by grace through faith. And so we enter God's rest by believing in God's Word, by placing our faith and trust in what God has said. But we also enter God's rest by trusting in God's provision. We trust in God's provision. Just like the Old Testament people were called to trust in the provision of God, so are we. Because God had promised deliverance from Egypt and salvation from Pharaoh. He provided His presence to guide them. He provided them manna and quail. They had seen much of God's provision. But when the time came to live and activate that promise, to believe that if our God has promised us this land, we can take it when it came time to activate that, they didn't trust that God was good enough to help them do it. And likewise, God has promised to His people today salvation through Jesus Christ. But we must personally trust in God's provision of a Savior. We must trust in God's provision. And then finally, we enter by surrendering to God's plan. We surrender to God's plan. God's plan for His people in Numbers 14 was to cross the river into a promised land in faith in God. And God's plan for you and me is to trust by faith in the gospel and repent and turn from our sins to follow Jesus Christ. You see, we cannot trust in our goodness to save us. And the Hebrews writer tells us the importance of trusting in God's plan when he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear the gospel, today, if you hear the good news that there's a promise of rest... Today, if you hear the good news that you can come and lay down all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your burdens, all of your struggle, and trust in what Christ has done for you. Today, do not harden your heart against that sin, but trust in it. And if you will trust in it, you will find rest. We enter God's rest by believing in His Word. We enter God's rest by trusting in His provision. We enter in God's rest by surrendering to His plan in the gospel. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to enter into a time of response this morning and an invitation for you to be able to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my appeal to you today is exactly what the Hebrews writer says there in verse 4 Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not say, you know what, preacher, I got time to deal with that tomorrow. I got time to deal with that next Sunday. I got time to deal with that later on. The reality of it is is that you don't have a guarantee of any more time. Today if you hear the gospel, believe in the gospel, trust in God's provision, surrender to God's plan. Today if God's revealed to you your need for a Savior, that you, you're tired of being restless and living with an unrest in your soul and in your spirit with, with feeling like everything in your life is messed up and there's nothing you can do to please God. Today, would you just lay all that aside? Would you come and would you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you enter into the promise of eternal rest today? Would you allow Christ to become the perfect Sabbath rest for your life? Just a moment as we sing this song, if you'd like to come today and give your life to Christ to become a Christian, become a follower of Jesus Christ, we offer you that invitation. You come, you say, Pastor, I need to get saved, and we'll be glad to share with you how you can do that today. Maybe you need to come for some other reason. Maybe you need to come because God's leading you to join Central Park Baptist Church, or maybe God's calling you to to pray over something, and you just need a time to pray at this altar. Whatever God's called you to do, you be obedient to His voice today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we thank you that you have provided for us an eternal rest in Jesus Christ. But that rest is not guaranteed just because we hear it. That rest is not guaranteed just because we believe it exists. That rest is guaranteed by entering into it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Father, today I pray that the gospel would would save each and every one of us in this place today. That we would trust in Jesus Christ and His provision for us. That He would be our eternal Sabbath rest. For any that need to choose to follow you today, God, would you give them the, 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 the boldness to come out and step in faith and say, I need to be saved today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing and respond as the Lord leads you?